0: You are listening to the sermon podcast of Redemption Chapel in Stowe, Ohio. For more resources and information, go to redemptionchapel.com. So, what I want to do this morning is talk about your love life. It'll be a group discussion. So, who wants to go first? Like, how's your love life? No one? No, okay, so I'll go. I'll go. Um, I got permission from Shannon. Uh, actually, she was here for a service. She's like, "No, you didn't." She like squawked right then. I'm like, uh, but "That would be awkward." So we're not we're not gonna do that. But uh, nonetheless, I could uh, tell you. I'm gonna make a guess here. I can tell you something about your love life. It's not very good. And of course, I don't mean your sexual life. I don't mean your romantic life. I mean loving people with your life, your love life. It's so much broader. Get your mind out of the gutter, people, right? I'm talking about your love life. And, and, and if you are a Christian, it might not be that great. Last year, a study was done asking Christians to describe other Christians. What words would we use to describe each other? And words were used like loving, loving, compassionate, respectful. Then they asked non-Christians. What words would they use to describe us? They used different words. Very different words. Hypocritical, judgmental, self-righteous. I heard another similar study that did this and they summed it up and said the world's impression of our tribe of Christians, they would sum it up with one word, mean. Isn't that sad? So what we have is God is love. He's the source of all love. He takes on human flesh, dies in our place, rises from the grave, adopts us as his kids. We are his disciples. And the world knows us as mean. So far off path. There's another relevant study done by Barna. This one was about 20 years ago, but it's still relevant. They asked non-Christians to rank various affinity groups, groups of people. And they ranked them favorable or unfavorable. And then they were able to put them in order of how we rated. Evangelical Christians, we were one of those groups. We came in 10th out of 11. We barely beat out prostitutes. We were beat by lawyers. I know we have some lawyers in here. We love you, but not that much. Okay. So, so like, (laughs) like, right? Like we we were beat by lawyers. Really? Like, come on. Like this is just sad. Here's what we're talking about. We are wrapping up the go series today. And the Go series is go advance the kingdom of God. Go have impact for Christ in this world. And we've talked about these things. Purpose, vocation, missions, volunteering. Okay, let me pause there for a second. When Pastor Olson gave a great sermon last week on volunteering, many of you might have been like, I thought we usually call that serving. And we usually do. But here's the thing. You notice like the O and go is like our go symbol. And for our bumper video, every word had needed an O. Serving doesn't have an O. So volunteering, right? So this week is loving. Fortunately, it has an O. So we're good to go there. So loving. So there it is. That's what's in front of us. Now, here's the question. How's your love life? And I want you to think of God making really clear your purpose in this world, and you're going to go live it out without love. How's that going to go? Or vocation. You have a sense for what God wants to do in your life throughout your work week, but you're going to do it without love. Missions, whether next door or across the world, and we're going to go on mission and tell people about Jesus without love. Volunteering. Can you imagine? I, I mean, it matters how you volunteer around this building and elsewhere to do it without love. Man. It, it really hurts the impact. Like, like when you are doing these things and people think you are worse than a lawyer, people think you are mean, it, it really kind of cuts into the go. Like a lot, a lot. And so, what we're already talking about, what love is not. And, and I want to make that even more clear because the Bible is really clear in one point in a passage you might be familiar with in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 3. Look at this. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. That was written to a church. That was written to a bunch of Christians who were doing Jesus stuff, that were doing church stuff without love. Love And Paul is like, listen, all your religious talk, all your jargon, it's noise. And and even your knowledge and your faith and your sacrifice at the end, deliver my body to be burned. That's like, I'm a Christian martyr being burned at the stake. Like you're doing all that, but you have no love. It's worthless. It's nothing. Trying to go advance the kingdom of God. We're talking go. Trying to go advance the kingdom of God without love is utter Foolishness. And frankly, we're just not that great at it. I'll talk about that in a bit. First, I want to talk about what love is. We just got a little peek at what love is not. What is love? Because the problem is, love is just a four letter word that a lot of people define differently. Is it just a warm, ushy gushy feeling? I feel all squishy inside with puppy love. Is that what it is? Is it two consenting adults? Well, how about this? Love is love. Love is love. I went to grade school, and what I learned in grade school is you cannot use a word in the definition of the word. And if you only use the word in the definition of the word, that is utter nonsense. That is so unhelpful. Unless, unless your goal is to have a contentless term that is not defined at all, that anyone and everyone can just make up their own definition, then it's a perfect definition. But what if? What if there is a creator of all things who is himself the source of love? What if he defined love for us in the scriptures so it is not contentless? You do not get to define it on your own. And indeed, that's exactly what our God has done. Right after these verses, he continues in verse four. Love is... How many of you have heard that read at a wedding? I'm a pastor. I've read that at a wedding many a time, many a time. But now, yes, it can be read at weddings. Yes, it can be applied to marriages. But hear me very clearly. That's not why it was written. That was written to a bunch of Christians who were not being loving in how they were doing Christianity. And so God says, let me write it down and tell you what love is. And part of the definition, he says, it's linked to truth. That God gets to define what love is and what it is not. It's not contentless. It has to be linked to God's truth. He also says things that love is patient and kind. It endures all things. He excludes, it's not arrogant, it's not rude, it's not irritable, it's not resentful. Nope, those are out of bounds. In fact, one way we could sum that up, it's a definition that I just gave a rip at this week. Love is an unconditional commitment to God's best for the person in front of me, whoever that is at the time, even if it costs me. Love is an unconditional commitment to God's best for the person in front of me, even if it costs me. Does that sound like 1 Corinthians 13? Does that sound like what Jesus did? Yeah, absolutely. Now, it's very instructional for marriage, yes, but your love life is so much broader than just marriage. Some of you aren't even married. This stuff applies to all of us. Can you imagine if we went on a reckless mission this week, this school year, whatever, like we went on a reckless mission to live that out every moment Every day, every person we encounter. The founder of Methodism, John Wesley, said this Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. That's it. What, what would happen if we did that? I, I think three things. One, we might finally rate above lawyers. Like we, we might come up that scale just a wee bit, like just daydream with me. What would it be like if there's a non-Christian who absolutely hates our faith, but has to admit those Christians are so loving. How would that impact the reputation of Christ, of the gospel, of the church? That would be wonderful. Another thing that would be impacted, us. Like our own lives. You know, if we live that, we would have so much fun, so much joy and peace, so much love. Like, like that would be great. We would be living in harmony with the Holy Spirit who indwells every true Christian. Who wants to like develop his fruit, the fruit of the Spirit within us. Remember that list from Galatians Galatians 5. Love is top of the list, love, joy, peace. We would live a life of love, joy, and peace. Like that would be so much fun for us. And then thirdly, more impact for go. I mean, can you just imagine the impact on our communities for the gospel of Jesus Christ, for the gospel mission, go. Like if we lived out 1 Corinthians 13 consistently, Oh, my goodness. That is why we are called to love. It's not optional, folks. This is is commanded in the scripture for disciples of Jesus. I'm hoping some of you remember this passage. Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 28. Guy asked Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. I hope that's familiar, because remember we just did the whole series a little bit earlier this year. Then we went over heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love God, love God, love God. But Jesus didn't stop there. Look at it. The second is this you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. A way that was captured by other gospel writers is that Jesus says, on these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. In other words, the entire scriptures, if you boil it down to just two things, love God, love people, that's it. That's it, love God, love people. Everything hangs on those two. And by the way, there is a connection between them that I want to help you understand. Let me start with this. This is a picture of my wife on our wedding day. We've been married 31 years, that means she had big puff sleeves, okay? She had big puff, and I love my wife. But would you have cause to doubt that? If I took this picture of her and I just started to black out her eyes, I'm going to give her some devil horns up here. See that? You know, I'm going to give her one of those devil goatees and and a mustache for sure, big old mustache. Then what I'm going to do, I'm going to just give her a ton of acne, right? Uh, You know what? Just cross her all out. Now, you got to know I have this picture in a protective cover right now. (laughs) But who cares, people? It's a two-dimensional piece of paper, just with color on it. That's all it is. But is that true? Here's the thing. I love my wife. And because I love my wife, I love my wife's image. If you love somebody, you love their image. And I would never deface a picture of her. Never. All right, question. Who's made in the image of God? People. People. Every human being. And you cannot say that you love God while you hate his image. You just can't. If you love God, you love something made in his image. And every human being, even though it's tarnished, even though it might be hidden and repressed, is made in the image of God. They have the stamp of God on their life. They have inherent dignity, inherent worth, inherent value. And so we must love them. Even if they're wildly different than you. You have more in common with that person than you have different. They have a past just like you. They have hurts, hopes, things that make them laugh, things that make them cry. They're human because they're made in God's image. And if I love God, I love his image. So here's a connection. Give you another connection. This is my Anne of Green Gables box set. Collector's Edition. I got them all. Anne with an E. Anne with an E. I just love me some Anne of Green Gables. Well, not naturally. My wife loves it. And, and I love my wife. And because I love my wife, I've come to love what she loves. I would never, if, if I were a single dude, I would never care about it. But I love my wife, so I love what she loves. John 3.16, say with me, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever whoever which means he's not loving a globe planet world he's loving the people whoever on the planet god loves people he made us he cares about us you can't say you love god and you don't love what he loves i love you god but i just don't give a rip about what you care about what it doesn't work if you love god you love what he loves So the first commandment necessarily flows into the second. And you might say, yeah, but pastor, I'm just not a people person. Question, are you a God person? Because if you're into God, then you care about his image and you care about what he cares about. You love what he loves. We must love people. In fact, the New Testament pushes at this repeatedly. Repeatedly. So we're familiar with the gospel, right? The gospel is like this radical elimination of the law. Actually, a fulfillment of the law, but it's an elimination of the requirement of the law upon us to earn God's favor. We know it's just by grace, right? So now we can do whatever we want. Let's know what the New Testament says. Are you aware the New Testament is very clear that there is a law that still abides upon us? Paul refers to it most often. He calls it in some places the law of Christ, and other places he calls it the law of love. And it is simply this: love people. If we just love God and love people, we keep everything else. The law, the law of love is still incumbent upon us. And so we are redeemed, we are adopted by God, we are filled with the Holy Spirit now. Go love people. It's very simple. It's very clear. And it is very, very difficult. I struggle with this. We struggle. Like, why is it that we have such problems simply loving people? Why is that? We know we should love people, right? All of us know that, but we're not feeling it. Listen, every time I drive down the road, I'm not feeling it. Okay, right? Like, does it feels to me, I don't know, it, it feels to me like driving's gotten worse over the last couple of years, okay? Now, I don't know if driving's changed or I'm just getting older. I'm 53, and now I sound like, well, back in my day, people knew how to drive. They all camp in that left lane. Get over. <laughs> I'm just saying more about myself than drivers out there, but, but There it is, we don't always feel loving. If you don't feel loving, how can you love? Here's the problem. You cannot water from an empty can. You cannot water from an empty can. You need to be first filled to overflowing with the love of God in your life, and then you overflow and water others. You cannot water from an empty can. 1 John chapter 4 drills down on this. Look at what it says, starting in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. Okay, there it is. Let us love one another, but here it is. Look. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this is the love, excuse me, in this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation, that means payment, to be the payment for our sins. Beloved, If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Verse 16. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Verse 19. We love because he first loved us. That's how it works. You cannot water from an empty can. And so God is love. And it talks about being born of God. That's being born again. It's a second birth. Like not religion, but relationship with you. You're born of God. You know God. You're loved by God. You're steeped in the gospel of love. It talks about how he came and died in our place, which means we're set. We got no needs. We're okay, people. We're going to be fine. And so we have come to know and have come to believe the love that God has for us. Do you believe the love God has for you? Listen, do you know the worst thing about you, God already knows it. And and you're thinking about something you did in the past. You don't know the worst thing you might do in this life Life might, might happen five years from now. And you don't even know that. God does. And he adopted you as his daughter, adopted you as his son, and he loves you. He loves you. You're his kid and he loves you. And so we're called to abide in God and let God abide in us. Now we're so filled up. And listen, therefore, we love other people. Therefore, we love others. We have such a hard time loving other people because we are not settled in the very love of God toward us. And we're going around with this empty can saying, would you please love me? I'm sorry, would you give me a little, please, would you love me? And we're infatuated with self. Listen, the best life possible is being God-centered, filled with his love, and then being other-centered. Just giving that love away. Notice the order. That's the best life. But it is really, really tough to do when you are love-starved. When you have an empty can. We are so self-centered. Instead of God-centered, instead of others-centered. And God's plan is that you first get so saturated with the love of God, so settled in the love of God that when you go out into the world, if anyone bumps up against you, what sloshes out? Love. And you're spreading love all over the place out there because you are first filled with the love of God yourself. How would you like to be freed from self-infatuation? Can we just be honest? From the moment we wake up in the morning till our head hits the pillow, we are consumed with self. How do I look? What do people think about me? Do they like me? Self, self, self. How would you like to live free of that? The way that happens is you get filled with the love of God. Now, you need to be known and loved. He, He knows everything about you, and yet he loves you. That is so powerful to be not the masks that you wear, but like the true you, to be known and loved directly by God. But let's be honest, sometimes that's hard for us to wrap our hearts around. And so what God does is he has a body. Did you know this? God has a body. It's called the body of Christ, the family of faith. This is why Christian community, Christian fellowship is so important that you get in there and take the stupid mask off. In your community groups, be transparent, be vulnerable. This is who I am. And in that moment, you are known and, I pray, loved. And something gets settled in your soul. Now, I'll be honest with you. This is not a one and done exercise. I've been there, filled up, and then woke up the next day. In pursuit of self. And so it's not one that you have to be continually reminded by God Himself and through His body that you are known, that you are loved, that you are settled in His love. And when that happens, you're in a powerful position to love others. What would that look like? What should we do in loving others? Well, remember earlier, we looked at the second of the great commandments to love your neighbor as yourself. In Luke chapter 10, uh, the, the gospel writer gives us a little bit more of what took place in that dialogue with Jesus because at, at first the guy responded to Jesus, he said this, but he desiring to justify himself said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Love your neighbor as yourself, but yeah, but who's my neighbor, right? And the desire in that moment is to draw that neighbor circle as small and tight as possible. Jesus, you mean my family, right? Just my wife and my two kids. Or, well, my best friend or my affinity group, just my peeps. Draw that circle small. And Jesus responded with one of the most famous Bible stories ever. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down on that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, that's money, cash. He took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Okay, open a tab. I'll come back and pay more. And Jesus asked, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go. Here's our word. Go. You go and do likewise. Okay, go do it as well. Now, there's so much jammed in that story. One of the things we notice is that the good Samaritan felt compassion. There was something that happened in his heart that didn't happen with the other people. Why? Because th- this guy was not his buddy, okay? But, but the person was human, made in the image of God. The assumption is the victim in the story is a Jew. Don't miss that. Because the priest, that's a Jewish priest, he shows up and you go, oh, good, he's saved. Oh, nope, he's not. The priest crosses over. Levite, another Jewish religious leader, crosses over, goes away. And these two Jewish religious leaders say hard pass. And then who stops? Samaritan. Most of you probably know, but you need to know that, that Jews and Samaritans, racial hatred, like big time, Hated each other, racially, wild. And so, so here's what happened. This Jewish rabbi Jesus told a story to a Jewish audience and he made a Samaritan the hero. Ooh, what's going on there? He's drawing that circle infinitely wide. We're trying to make it small. Jesus is blowing it up. If a Samaritan can love a Jew like that, there's no one we can't love. And if we're honest, we tend to gravitate towards people like us. We just like people like us. But the question we need to really ask is, is that other person made in the image of God? That's it. And if the answer is yes, then we have to love them. Even if they are different from me racially. Even if we disagree on religion. Even if we have different politics. Even if we have different morality, maybe I think they're living in sin, maybe they think I'm living in sin. It doesn't matter, I can still love them. What's that mean? It doesn't mean that he just felt something towards the guy. He did something. Did you feel my long pause between, before the second? Look, he moved toward the guy. It was action, not just religious jargon. You got to know that priest and that Levite gave religious words all the time about how we should love people and did nothing. The good Sam, the Samaritan, he did something about it. He acted. And, And I showed you this definition. Love is an unconditional commitment. Notice it doesn't say an unconditional wish, an unconditional hope. It's a commitment. And when a commitment sees a need, it acts. If you do not act, you do not have love. And so this guy acted. Okay, your religious words don't cut it. He acted. And then what he did, maybe you notice he ministered to the guy's tangible needs at great personal cost, cost to himself. See, so There's three ways. to look. So The robber's, said, what's yours is mine. And they took from the guy and beat him. What's yours is mine. The religious people said then and still say, what's mine is mine. The good Samaritan said, what's mine is yours at great personal expense, that's love. And it wasn't only financial expense, which it was, but it was also, he was not safe. You understand the robbers were still in the area. Why did the priest and the Levite cross to the other side of the road? To get away from the robbers, and the good Samaritan went in. That was not safe. And now, now he's gonna be a Samaritan with a beaten Jew on his horse or whatever kind of animal, taking that Jew into a Jewish in in a Jewish town, who do you think they're going to assume beat the guy? It wasn't safe. But love goes beyond safety. After all, we're set. Jesus died for us. We're going home. We're okay, folks. Love goes beyond safety. Now, the problem I have in applying that is that I have never found somebody beaten alongside the, the roadway. Unless we're talking about the roadway of life. And if we're talking about the roadway of life, I think everybody's beaten alongside the road. You know, everyone's struggling. Everyone, there are two kinds of people you will run into this week. People that you know are hurting and people that are hurting, but you don't know it. That's it. Those are the only kind of people there are. Everyone is hurting. Everyone's beaten up. And so you remember this quote from John Wesley. He says to do good in all the places you can. What's that mean? That means we are filled up by God's love. Our can's not empty. Our can's overflowing. And so we go out to be other-centered where? Where? Restaurants. Grocery stores. In line. When you're trying to get out and check out quickest. In traffic, that's my problem. In traffic, yep. Yeah. At work, for sure, at sporting events, at church, in the parking lot? I'm talking to you? Are you out in the atrium and you see somebody standing alone? Maybe looks new, doesn't open, like, do you care? Everywhere, absolutely everywhere. And how can we bless them? Like, I want to get practical. What are some things we can do if we go on this reckless, wild mission to just bless people? I saw this meme. Tip your server. I would say tip your server well. Tip your server well. Return your shopping cart. I don't just mean at Aldi where you want your quarterback, right? Pick up a piece of trash. Hold the door for the person behind you. And not just because you're a dude and she's a cute girl. Stop. Like, I mean, just for anyone, right? Let someone in your lane. That one is, I think, to me, right? Small acts can have a ripple effect. That's how we change the world. I'd say that's how we undergird our mission to change the world. There's some things I'd add to this. Smile. Dolly Parton said, if somebody lacks a smile, give them one of yours. A smile is just a way that I say, I see you, I care about you, I want the best for you, I'm pulling for you. Just smile at people. Another thing I'd like you to try, listen Go listen to people. Go on a ministry of listening. Listening is loving. Listening is loving. Stephen Covey said that most of us listen not to understand, we listen so that we can reply. And if we're honest, the way we do conversations is while you're talking, I formed my response and I'm really just waiting and hoping your lips stop moving so I can say what I want. And while I'm talking, guess what you're doing? Same thing. And so somebody said that conversations are basically people shouting out barely related sentences in the same location. Listening is loving. Man, if you are just interested in people and care about them and listen to what's going on in their lives, like that's the end goal, not you talking back. The end goal is hearing them. What will happen is you're going to find out that they've been beaten up on the side of the road. And now you can help them even at personal cost to yourself if we went on this wild, reckless mission to bless others, to do all the good you can, can you just imagine? I think life would be so much more fun for us and just how we live. Instead of going around empty with our can saying, fill me up, please. Give me some scraps. Filled with the love of God, freed, be free, people, be freed from the infatuation with self overflowing and going around blessing people. We just have a riot. But also this. Think of the impact on our mission. On our mission. On our mission. Help me out because this thing's dead, I think. So our mission. Think about it, okay? Now, I want you to hear me really, really carefully on this. This is very important. We are called to a mission to go advance the kingdom of God. One of the biggest problems with Christian outreach is this. We don't love people. Dang it, it's true. We don't. We are simply doing our religious duty to tell them what we feel. We have to tell them about Jesus so I feel better about my religious self and I can go on my own life. I don't care about them. That's a huge problem. This is undercutting our mission. What if, just what if we were kind and loving and blessing just because? And we just love people. Dream with me. What would that be like this week or even the rest of this school year if the children of God were so filled up with the love of God that we went out into our community freed from begging for love? We don't have an empty can. We have a full up can. We are just watering people with the love of God like crazy. Oh. Now, will we share the gospel? Of course Life and death are on the line. Eternity's on the line. If you haven't been listening this year, i am got to let you know, yeah, we're going to tell people about Jesus. But it cannot be divorced from a mission to just love people just because they're made in the image of God and they're loved by God. It can't be divorced. And so if we recklessly love people, here's what's going to happen. They'll be blessed. We'll be blessed because we'll love that life. And then the mission of God will be blessed. So I want you to go. Go on a wild mission of loving people. And let me pray for that. Father in heaven, thank you very much uh, for loving us first. And we know and we admit before you, we would have never loved you if you didn't seek us out and love us. And, and yet, Father, here we are. We're, we, we are not settled in your love. We're not convinced at times. We're, we're still groping for love as the most beloved people on the planet. It's ridiculous. Would you help us be filled up in your love, known and loved by you? And then we go out on a wild, reckless mission to just love people. Take us there, Lord, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Redemption Chapel. Go to redemptionchapel.com for more resources and information.